This is the Kevin Prendeville Show podcast. Wherever or however you are listening, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, or iTunes, this is the full show edited without breaks. You can watch the show live weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, 4 a.m. Pacific, or 6 a.m. Central Time. Well, all right, here we go. On a beautiful Wednesday, we're live in Tennessee, and it is the Kevin Prendeville Show, the great uh, rebirth, I suppose, after our brief run in February. We're back, live, and however you may be listening, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or, of course, Facebook, YouTube, and maybe even LinkedIn, if this ever makes it into a best-of cut. And on the docket today, we've got a lot of things, talking to teens, we've got millennials uh more of them are staying at home and we've got uh of course personal finance as always woven in there somewhere now of course like every day on the kevin prendeville show after this little intro we'll start with the opening salvo and today's is certainly close to home so how to talk to today's teens seems like it's been a topic ever since the greasers of the 1950s and today is no different Millennials have often been displayed as lazy, gluttonous, and a byproduct of the late 90s and early 2000s tech explosion. In fact, one of our stories today has to do with the fact that 25% of millennials are actually still living at home. The question is not whether or not they are lazy, and I'm sure some of them might be, but the heart of the matter is whether or not these kids are actually prepared to take on the world as it is. Now, I put myself in the millennial category uh, I do believe uh, my birth year was 96, so I put myself right around that uh, generation, although I am too young to even remember Y2K, although certainly it happened. I barely remember 9-11, if you can believe it. However, the as we've explained numerous times, really, on the Crime of the Century podcast, it, it's not really that generation's fault. And now I'm not taking blame away from them, but I believe it's a combination of the education that they and myself received and a lack of moral fortitude. And of course, the modern jobscape in the United States is no friend. Retail and other well-paying, unskilled positions are continuing to drop as companies no longer want to pay the union labor in major cities or pay the rising rent in rural areas. Perhaps it's a crisis. Or maybe it's just a metamorphosis. The change to a new economy that we have not seen, one based more on technological advances than industrial output. And as it appears as though we are moving in that direction, presently the stock market is only driven primarily by three companies, Netflix, Amazon, and Google. Even in society at large, health has become ever more prevalent as weight gain and sedentary lifestyle has set in no longer is being portly a luxury as it was just a hundred years ago, but it's instead slowly becoming the norm. So maybe this changes for the best in the healthy lifestyle department. But in the meantime, we have an entire generation that is left waiting in the wind, listless, lost, and as they say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That was today's opening salvo. Let's get to it. Now, uh, Logan Paul, a couple weeks ago, uh, who I have never watched but rose to uh, internet fame, whatever that means nowadays, and it means some more to, to some and probably to the youngest generation than it does to uh, the older generation who still likes their stars on traditional television. 
but uh, he has a sizable following in the uh, tens of millions uh, on YouTube, and I'm sure even more who don't actually subscribe. And he came out um, talking about video games. Do you remember, uh, you know, Pac-Man uh, and some of the old arcade games? I remember playing um, as a kid. They had this game called uh, Time Crisis, and uh, you know, you put your quarters in and you played uh, cop. Essentially, you role played as as Arnold Schwarzenegger, you and as another friend, and. Um, and then you went and uh, shot all the bad guys, and it was fun. Except, you know, they gamed it, of course, so you give as much quarters to the machine as you had. Um, games have have video games have progressed past that, way past arcade machines. And you know, of course, now they're on uh, every new console. They're on computers. They're on iPads. They're on um, any kind of tablet. They're on your phone. Heck, there are calculators with games on them now. They're everywhere, and now, I am, uh, for those who don't know me uh, really that personally, um, in high school, that was kind of my motif. I hung around with the video game guys, and that's what we did. That's what we did for fun. I, I mean, it was a social thing, um, but I felt like, and, and here's the lead into the story and why I think it's so important, uh, that's, 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 I took them a little bit more seriously than I think in retrospect than I should have, um, but... You know, it did lead to, uh, unfortunately, uh, weight gain and uh, not necessarily lack of social skills, but a lack of social experience, which I had to uh, improve on in college, and I did, and um, even more so as an adult. My point here is uh, he came out with a video essentially saying that, uh, Logan Paul, that video games were really hurting not only the social skills, but also the mental stability of... Um, young adults and teenagers and he wishes that you know his parents or, or someone would have known and said something uh, and of course there are more studies out that smartphone use social media use of course you're probably watching or listening to me on some form form of uh, social media but that social media use video game playing all of that because of its nature to isolate now you might talk with somebody um and that's what I did in, in high school playing games. I would uh, talk with people over, uh, they called it Xbox Live uh, or the PlayStation Network, and, and you would talk via a headset or a microphone. But it still is isolating, especially if you don't... If, if someone was playing without any friends and they're just sitting in silence and left to dwell in their own head, that's not, I don't believe, what human creatures were developed to do. I think we're social creatures, and and some people talk more than others. Um, you know, I certainly believe I uh, I've certainly been accused of, of of doing that, and well, I'm talking to you right now, aren't I? So uh, clearly, clearly, we have um, no trouble there. But you know, I I have some sympathy for those who unfortunately get wrapped up in this world, and and I don't think we're paying a lot of attention to it. Um, the issue is not only that our young people are becoming less socialized, but also that they think or may start to think. Now, I'm not, I want to be careful here because I'm not blaming video games or music 
or any of that stuff for things like school shootings and those tragedies. I think that's more um, pharmaceutically induced. I don't think that's a gun issue. I don't think that's a video game issue or any of that. Again, I blame the untested antidepressants for that kind of stuff, but more often I can I can understand the argument that those who are isolated may in fact think that violence and an attitude that is more uh, depressive um, is is kind of their motif. That's how they live their life, and it's it's a horrible way to live life. And so the crux of the matter here, why this is important, is because that doesn't necessarily do anything to produce things of value. And that's how, in a capitalist society that we're in, that's how you make money. That's where wealth comes from, producing value for a corporation or group of people. And in essence, you know, you go to a job, even if it's a, if it's in a cubicle, then you're providing value for a corporation and they pay you that depending on what you do. Or if you're self-employed or an entrepreneur, you produce either a skill, a skill set or a product that people will pay you for. And some people are paid greatly. Some people make Elon Musk money because well, he changed the world with much of his technology and some people don't make any money. And so, and that's just the value of their skill set. But what, except for a select few people, can you truly make that much sitting around playing video games? Now, yes, there are people who make money playing uh, uh, games for sport. It's no different than professional athletes though. The percentage, the, the chance that your kid's going to be a professional athlete who makes millions is in the one percentile. It's it's you'll, more likely that he'll make millions in business than he'll make millions in professional sports. And if if and if it's a she, it's even less likely because nobody watches you know female sports. But I think one of the problems here is, and and I truly believe, and this is from a more personal perspective. We're not using. Uh, a lot of history here or anything to substantiate these claims, but it is something that I do want to point out. I believe anything that disconnects your mind from reality and therefore God is sin. So, uh, you know, marijuana use is a sin. Alcohol use, especially in excess, uh, is a sin. I abstain from that kind of stuff uh, or attempt to. And... In many cases, I think that's that's brought a better quality to life uh, for myself, and I would advocate others doing that. And uh, from my personal experience with um, uh, video games, I would say it's no different than someone using marijuana. I don't think it's any different than somebody using uh, excessive alcohol, where it disconnects them from reality for a period of time, or alters that reality for a period of time, and therefore disconnects them from God. And I think that in essence, therefore, is a sin. And I, and I would recommend if, you know, if you have kids that uh, play too much, um, keep in mind, like with excessive drug use or alcohol use, you're not, you're using that time and you're not developing skills that could be productive down the road. And so you're really not only stagnating, but going backwards because others might be doing something more constructive. Now, the next, uh, article that comes out from us and where I want to go with this um, 
comes at us from uh, Fox Business. And it comes from a place where... Well, it, it comes from a place where uh, the U.S. median house price uh, crossed 300 grand for the first time uh, ever back in... And this is in uh, late March, which... That that's huge. I mean, you used to be able to buy. When people talk about the the great era of the 1950s, uh, even with inflation, I mean, the little ranch houses that people were buying, the GI Bill, which allowed uh, returning soldiers to buy homes with a, a decent mortgage rate, all that stuff, decent. This was for the time it was like eight percent, nine percent. That was considered a, a discount. We've gone quite. Uh, uh, far away from that. And can you imagine somebody trying to offer you an 8% and tell you it was a discount nowadays? Man. But they were buying these smaller ranch houses for $150. Um, i am talking in today's terms. Uh, you know, $120, somewhere in there. Um, you know, a little less than even a ranch house will get you uh, nowadays. And they were setting up in decent neighborhoods. And um, it was... I wouldn't say it was perfect, but the fact that the medium house cry, uh, house price has increased that much, as long with in the 1980s you saw houses, you know, two story houses became more common, and larger homes in general uh, uh, simply just became more common. The housing cost also went up, and the cost of living, um, if you don't account for inflation, has gone up. Uh, if you do, it's relatively the same, although we have more, uh, you know, if, if you own a smartphone, that costs obviously way more than a flip phone, and um, depending on how many computers you have, all of that factors into it. Um, the cost of living has gone down if you factor in just needs, but of course nobody or very few people in the U.S. live on just needs. But the uh, the article goes on to list the... 10 cities in which millennials um, are more than 25% of them uh, live at home still. Um, and this is over the age of 25, where in society people are expected to move out. Number one was uh, Riverside, California. And I won't go through them all here, but I will name uh, some states. Some are more surprising than others. But should it be really any surprise in uh, California? Now, this specific uh, part of California has high uh, unemployment rates, as this article points out, but uh, mo most of them were uh, males, and they just they couldn't find any work, and as the article, this is more the, uh, the um, perspective of the journalist, and the assumption is that... Um, you know, the, the, well, the housing cost is too high and they don't have a job. And that may sound like it's a terrible failure of business. You know, the government should come in and they should subsidize uh, a men and, well, really families uh, to get them back on their feet, get them, you know, to move out. And I think that, you know, moving out is a great time uh, for anybody. But... I think the real question here, uh, and again, I'm, I'm calling out California here specifically, is they've done so much to strangle industry and private business that not only has the cost of living gone up, but the cost of goods and services have gone up because the more you tax businesses, the more you levy on businesses, well, they don't pay that. They 
put it in, uh, price it into the product, and then the consumer who buys the product has to spend more. At the same time, their wages are stagnating because the company can't afford to pay them because they're paying the government. And so you get this, uh, really, it comes back all on the consumer. It does not get felt by the big business. So if, if the government wants to come in, and, and I'm sure as they promoted in California, and I believe in Kamala Harris's area have done so, uh, they've come in with you know uh, rent control and uh, trying to subsidize renters, and, and all that does is just, again, if you're going to raise taxes, that puts more uh, money, uh, it takes more money out of uh, private business and basically just you know levies that extra dollars on, on the consumer, and therefore the cost of living goes up. And it just creates this vicious cycle that really, despite their best efforts, and, and I'm sure those in lawmakers in California that are making these proclamations are doing so in their best interest, but I don't think it's getting them to where they want to go. Um, and some other states and cities that uh, were surprising, Providence, Rhode Island was number eight on the list, and uh, that one is a little un- unsur- a little bit surprising. Um, Considering the uh, Navy has a large presence uh, presence in uh, Rhode Island, so you would think that there would be a lot of dock work available. But again, like California, business um, doesn't has fled. It's it's gone uh, more south, more to the middle of the country, or it's left the country in general. And small businesses have a very hard time starting up in uh, some of the East Coast uh, cities unless they have a lot of capital to start because they simply can't afford. Uh, the taxation. They can't afford to rent because the rent has gone through the roof because of the tax on corporate buildings and so forth. And so the only ones left are the big businesses who, again, pass that dollar onto the consumer, which doesn't help anybody. The most surprising to me one was uh, San Antonio in Texas. Now, it was one of the lower end of percentage, but it was still, um, this was uh, uh, 32%, um, which is less than this was 32%, which is less than uh, California, less than New York, uh, less than Los Angeles. But uh, again, a high amount of these people did not participate in the labor force. That means they don't have a job, they don't want a job, uh, all of that stuff. And that that may speak towards uh, the lazy aspect, though in many cases I do still think the economics of the world have changed, especially after 2008, and that's what's led to a lot of this, but work ethic. I think one of the great failures of the advance in technology is that you simply don't have to work as hard or we perceive that we don't have to work as hard as our forefathers. But in actuality, the world is moving so fast, you may have to work harder to, to, to get ahead at the same rate that, that our forefathers did because there simply is less and less opportunity as things get invented um, at a faster rate. And so I suppose some people just gave up, but someone far beyond my pay grade might have to come in and motivate these people. It's certainly not encouraging to see. It's not something that is productive for the country, but here we are. And uh, let me shift over to this. It's kind of related, but uh, CNBC had an article uh, and we'll get to this uh, after the break here. But uh, 
talks about where the, frankly, where the jobs are. And I wanted to correlate this with uh, where millennials are uh, getting, are they getting service? I mean, if there are no jobs, you can't expect them to participate in the, in the labor force unless somebody comes along and creates them. And with no capital, it's very hard to do that, as we've explained. So we'll get to that uh, in just about five minutes here. Um, I hope you'll enjoy the break as much as I will. Man, it is a beautiful morning. I love these early Tennessee mornings. They're just, you know, you got that mist that kind of rolls off the farmland. There's a lot of farmland where uh, I am right now, and it's, you know, you kind of hear the cows, but birds are talking back and forth, and, man, it's just so peaceful. And really, you understand here um, that man truly is free. There's no authority other than God that's higher than us. So as we uh, explained before the uh, break there, uh, education and health services, uh, professional and business uh, services, and this comes from, at us from uh, CNBC, have gone up by 70,000 and 37,000 respectively. That's 107,000 uh, new jobs that were created just in March alone in those two industries. Now, the... Trump administration, one of my, probably during my lifetime, you know, the, my most, uh, my, my favorite administration during my lifetime, of course, really t- only two that I can remember. I was sort of politically conscious during the uh, unfortunate later half of the Bush administration, uh, really coming into my element during the Obama years. But for all of the, I'm, uh, I'm, I, the reason I say this is I'm setting up I'm a, I'm a Trump fan, a Trump supporter. That shouldn't really come across as a surprise, but maybe so. But for all the posturing about training and mining and uh, all of that stuff, only 2,000 uh, last year. And it's not the government's job to create jobs. Does that make sense? It's businesses that create jobs. But government can assist or harm, as we were talking about in the last segment, the creation of jobs. And so it's unfortunate that 14,000 government jobs were created and yet only 2,000 uh, in mining and logging. And the reason I say that is because government jobs are a burden on the taxpayer. They, uh, although many of them are needed, it is still symbolic of a, in many cases, of an overreaching government because the 14,000 that were listed could be anything from you know an important IT person at the IRS to some bureaucrat somewhere that really uh, really doesn't help the taxpayers yet they pay you know his one hundred and fifty thousand dollars salary. I'm not saying that there are you know that government is uh, unimportant, but I am saying that in many cases it's inefficient and. Uh, I think what's most telling here, and maybe this goes back to our uh, discussion about millennials, retail trade and manufacturing both down by uh, 12,000 and 6,000 respectively. That is um, not surprising. Unfortunately, uh, it is the reality though. There just aren't that many as we go more towards the internet and digital selling. That That's just how we're going to have to 
to deal with this new economy. Uh, retail jobs, why, except for a few stores, I can't hardly name, uh, you know, clothes shopping and, or maybe if I'm getting a, a, a tool, you know, hardware or something. I can't, why go out? Why not just order it on Amazon and it shows up in like two days and, you know, it, in many cases it's uh, the same price. So why, and if you get Prime obviously, and I'm not advertising for them, but if you, uh, you know, subscribe essentially to Amazon, you will get uh, shipping free in most cases. And why go out? Why go out to a retail store? Um, and so that I don't think it'll kill the uh, retail industry. Obviously, some uh, stores are still doing all right, but it'll certainly, I mean, the, Amazon has pretty much killed Office Max. They're, they're about to, uh, you know, eliminate staples or they've got them on the ropes. So I think... We're going to see less of these department stores. We're going to see more, um, I don't want to say mom and pop, but JCPenney may look like what JCPenney started with, uh, the guy. You know, one of those, uh, they're renting out of, uh, you know, from uh, New York real estate, and they've got this little, uh, uh, you know, 1400 by 1400 kind of uh, studio uh, retail uh, space where uh, instead of the huge department stores that they were building in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, I think those are going to go the way of the dodo. There's just no reason to have them anymore. And as a result, jobs are going to get cut. And unfortunately, so are wages. They're just not as important uh, in that position. And it's unfortunate, but it, it's going to hurt millennials first, and unfortunately Generation Z, but they may get out from under it in the sense that they may be old enough that the economy will have fully shifted by the time they're older. But the millennials have no, there's no reason to make them the lost generation. And they shouldn't be. It's unfortunate that it's happening. But I pray to God that the United States doesn't end up like France at the end of World War I. And we've talked about this occasionally. And this is not coming out of left field here. If we compare the uh, failure in Iraq and Afghanistan um, in terms of cost to French cost at the end of World War One, Obviously, they had far more casualties, but France had in the 1920s what was called the lost generation. This partly played into why they got run over in World War Two, famously by the, the Germans, which went around, who went around the Maginot Line and, and took over France in a matter of months. And the effects of, of, of World War One on France essentially caused them to develop what was called the Lost Generation, where you had relatively high unemployment among the younger uh, generation. You had uh, people who really didn't aspire to be French. The, the Frenchmen didn't want to be French. They were disillusioned. They didn't want to go to war. They didn't know which political side to pick, and many of them left for the U.S., or they left for uh, some of the French African colonies, although that was a very small percentage. But regardless, it made the country very, very weak. I don't I don't think it's a direct correlation, but it's not a bad example in terms of if this happens to us, we could see a dramatically weakened United States, and I think that opens the door for China and not so much Russia, but, but more so uh, China and India to, to take that place. And speaking of economies, uh, I suppose this is a shift, but uh, over to um, economist uh, uh, Hassett 
with who was speaking with um, uh, Fox uh, Business a while ago, basically said that uh, there were some hot spots, some weak spots in the economy, but there's no chance of economic recessions um, in terms of this year. Now he said, uh, and this is again to, to Fox Business, he said um, that uh, if you look at the jobs number on, on Friday, and this is speaking at the end of March, this is early April, uh, he's got a bunch of uh, models that right now give, uh, give us 0% recession odds and that is a plus. Uh, you know, income across the board is up. Uh, though the housing market is uh, slowing, it's not. It's we're not nearly at the the, the tidal wave of of two thousand six and seven, where uh, obviously you had the there were numerous factors, but you had you know the kind of the the, the peak. The market was not going to price houses any any higher. But you had a lot of flipping going on. You had people who could not afford the house they were in. You had people taking out uh, home equity loans uh, to the nth degree. And then you had others who, where the bank was approving people and they really shouldn't have been. And it caused just this giant contraction. Uh, rather naturally, it's just the market being the market. Unfortunately, it dramatically shifted the United States. And I suppose this is positive news. Um, I don't think, as, as we said in the opening salvo, really the market has been driven by uh, Amazon, Google, and Netflix. And though in personal finance, I do believe it's important to basically put your eggs in just a basket or two and, and watch that grow, as Andrew Carnegie um, put forth. But with when you've got uh, you know an entire market and all these different businesses and jobs based on three companies, and eh, that gets a little dicey. Um, you know, it really speaks to the fact that for a capitalist country, we're 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 running low on the amount of truly strong independent companies that are all fighting with each other. Of course, um, you know, in the auto industry, you've got Dodge Chrysler, which is one company. You've got General Motors, which is, you know, Cadillac, Chevrolet, Buick, uh, and I believe uh, Jeep might be thrown in there. Don't quote me on that. Uh, and then you've got Ford, which is obviously uh, Ford Lincoln. They've gotten rid of Mercury, but they used to have it. Um, and then you've got the Japanese and the, and the foreign cars. But there's not a whole lot of larger companies competing with each other, attempting to lower the price, attempting to... Uh, uh, steal customers from each other, which helps the consumer um, when they're, you know, because obviously businesses focus, focused on profit, uh, you know, and money first, as they should be. And so this is, I don't know if it's good news or bad, it may be uh, an omen, but at least um, according to people who have uh, cut their teeth and uh, are very, I would say, trustworthy, um, no chance of recession, uh, you know, in the coming months or any of that. We can kind of tamper off some of the uh, hysteria that, that seemed to have been growing um, at the end of last year, early this year. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, you know, want to bet on what happens 10 years out. 
uh, of course, Ron Paul has said that there'll be, you know, this huge drop-off. He's predicting 50%, but that'll be, you know, down the road after another, uh, you know, recession. Man, I hope he's wrong on that one. But uh, kind of in the same wheelhouse, but on a different article. Let's uh, let's shift over to uh, the gas price hike that everyone seems to be talking about, about 40%, on, uh, 40 cents up on, on regular. Uh, and this is, of course, across the nation, not uh, in specific places. Here in Tennessee, it's still relatively cheap, depending on what county you're in. Of course, Williamson, which is where Nat, uh, close to Nashville, but more the Franklin area, uh, has another gas tax hike coming um, in their attempt to pay for things. The question, though, of course, because we are dependent on foreign oil, is uh, what happens with Iran? Obviously, what was uh, Persia has been unfriendly to the United States, and no matter how much we appease them uh, during the Obama years or how much we wave our saber, as we have during the Trump years, nothing seems to have stopped them. If they wanted to, and uh, I don't know if you remember the crisis of the 70s, which was essentially OPEC, all of these Middle Eastern countries saying, we're, we're only going to export this much to you, and uh, it's going to be at this price, and you're going to have to deal with it. It meant gas prices went through the roof, uh, shortages, all this horrible, horrible things happened, and that may be happening again, of course, because of Iran has the power in the Middle East right now. There's a power vacuum that opened up after the uh, toppling of uh, certainly the Egypt as stumbled in 2010, but going back before then, we knocked over... Um, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, we played around in Pakistan. Of course, Turkey has now uh, succumbed to uh, a government coup. And so Iran has been the only stable uh, dictatorship, really, uh, which is a, a and it's a really a terrorist organization. You know, they behead Christians, they um, burn churches, they are not our ally. They're very close to Russia. And it would be unfortunate if they decided to, um, again, cut off or limit their supply to the United States. Because, you know, we rattle our saber as we do with, with uh, the Trump administration. It works for some, but Iran does have some power, you know, to, to combat us without, you know, engaging us militarily. And... So what do we do? We're kind of stuck. Um, we can't risk, I don't think we could risk, you know, our economic recovery that we're still in the middle of uh, for political gain or loss. But at the same time, something's got to be done with these terrorists. We can't let them get their, their hands on uh, nuclear devices, which was the unfortunate reality of the 2015 uh, deal with them that the Obama administration had made. And... So what happens? The, the fact is the Middle East is a, is a powder keg right now. It is simply uh, uh, hard to do business with them, but uh, I think this will lead to uh, Trump hopefully opening up uh, more fracking opportunities here, which uh, produces more oil. It, uh, or maybe even if we switch over to more uh, nuclear power, which has been around forever, it's cleaner, it's better for the environment. Of course, there are the fears of, of a Chernobyl happening, but listen, we're not the Soviets, we're not the communists, we know how to build this stuff, um, so I think those feels, fears are unfounded, 
and you know I think there are ways around it, but but it's going to take a while, and and that's really the unfortunate aspect. So if your so if your gas bill goes through the roof this year, well, before you go blaming any political party, and listen, I'd be the first to to throw mud at the Democrats, but that's not their fault here. Let's let's you know unite on one thing, and uh, maybe those uh, crazy people in in what was once the Empire of Persia. Maybe they need to be uh, uh, dealt with here. Now, when we get back from the uh, from the break, we'll uh, wrap this up here. But um, an interesting uh, point that Varney made again. Uh, this comes at us from Fox Business about uh, Speaker Pelosi and her potential loss of the Democratic base. Stay with us. All right, welcome to the end. Here we're uh, wrapping up on our last story as the sun continues to rise and. Uh, Opens up on this beautiful, beautiful Wednesday morning. And, uh, you know, I thought, uh, and, and I don't want this show to be, you know, just, you know, the conservatives are always right and, uh, you know, the left's always wrong. Um, but I did find this take from uh, Varney, uh, Stuart Varney, who is an older uh, reporter over at Fox News. And I think he doesn't. He doesn't just though it's obviously Fox. He doesn't just uh, throw insults at the Democrats to throw insults at the Democrats. And I think the point he makes here um, is worrying, and something that I would want to uh, to hopefully think about and come to a conclusion uh, with you, the audience. And he goes into. Uh, how she hasn't done a whole lot about the Trump derangement syndrome within her party, which is, of course, the unfortunate uh, inclusion of many uh, anti-Semites and angry, radical, uh, far leftists, communists, socialists, uh, and their inclusion in the Democratic Party and how the leadership, the old guard, uh, and he points the finger in his article at, at Pelosi, has failed to quell that. Um, and he argues, and this is directly uh, a direct quote, he says, the most glaring recent example of uh, this failure is Representative Maxine Waters. She's powerful. She chairs the Financial Services Committee, which oversees the financial industry. God help us. And Waters said, the American people know that this man is dangerous that and and in the end, uh, there was Varney uh, Varney's retort uh, to her. Now, she, or when any politician calls the president of the United States dangerous, that is a threat because, of course, if you are the victim, in any case, it can be used to justify violence. So, when. I'm not going to go that route. I almost went to Nazi Germany. We're not. We're refraining from that. Uh, I think it's way overused. But when the Ottoman Turks, or during the Rwandan genocide, when the offending party always said, these, this group of people is dangerous, they're working for the enemy, in the Ottomans case, uh, or in the Rwandan case, they are looking to attack us, we need to attack them first. It justifies doing 
awful, awful things. And I would like to think that, you know, we we all agree that genocide, but obviously, but certainly attacking others over political disagreements is a bad thing. And the idea that, of course, it's first that... Uh, that Trump conspired with the Kremlin and, and, and Russian oligarchs to overthrow the election. No, he didn't. I mean, Mueller wasn't the cleanest um, track record in terms of, uh, you know, he worked, you know, with Democrats. And I thought he was going to, you know, trump something up. They found nothing. There was nothing there. It's a lie. And it plays into this. He's a he's an evil guy. He's... Um, you know, we've, we've got to do anything and everything to stop him. We've got to make sure that we get him out of politics. What that ends up doing really is just driving hate and driving the violence, driving the animosity towards people on the right. And really, you no longer see that other side as having any valid points or even in some cases being a valid human being. Of course, that's what happened uh, with the Turks and in Rwanda and we have seen some of that, uh, you know, with the rise of, of Antifa after the election. And I think, unfortunately, it plays into uh, the millennials and, and the fact that those without a job, those who feel disenfranchised, are more apt to listen to people like Waters and act on her words, even if she's not directly, you know, telling people to go, well, she did, but um, a while back, but... In the statement, she did not attack Trump uh, directly in terms of telling people to go get him. But she represents a portion of the Democratic Party which is more is angry. They're angry not just at Trump. They're angry that the U.S. isn't socialist. They're angry that the American people don't embrace their ideals. And rather than re-examine their stance and why don't the majority of people follow them they just are going to beat anyone and everyone into submission much like the uh, extremists in the Middle East that we've seen and the question is what do we do do we return the Democratic Party do we attempt to return the Democratic Party to one of Jefferson Andrew Jackson in Alexander Hamilton, do we turn that into, we turn that away from, you know, Marx, Lenin, Stalin, or do we split it? Do we say, okay, the the real Democrats, the one who, the ones who are Americans, the ones who believe in in not only capitalism but also believe in the Constitution, you know, you go over to your corner and you'll take the Democrat name and the the socialists who want a, well communist United States, do they get their own party? And you would need that charismatic leader to do that. I thought Sanders was going to do that after, you know, 2016 defeat. Maybe uh, Alexandria uh, Cortez, who has fallen out of the of media, media favor, apparently, um, maybe she'll be the one who does that. But I think that's the ultimate solution. But I want you to think on that. How would you solve that crisis not not look the democrats hate trump that's clear but i'm talking about the ones who aren't socialists i'm talking about the ones who don't who who love this country and love what it stands for but who aren't conservative where do they go 
what's their party? And is there something you can do about it? I, I would love to uh, hear your comments on that, and I think it's where we're going to need to go. That'll do it for us here uh, in our Tennessee studio. We will be live, of course, tomorrow. And uh, wherever you get your media from, again, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast Republic, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, you might even catch us on LinkedIn over there. I'd love to have you back. It was great talking with you. And I'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m.